What's going on, guys? It is Chloe here sitting with Linda Kimmel Pratt. Hi. Pratt Kimmel. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever you want to call me. (laughs) How are you doing on this fine day? It is beautiful. I'm doing great. Thank you. Good. We were just saying how much, how fun all of your glasses are. She did a glasses change. The first one pair was pretty cool. I like these two. But I couldn't really see. So that that was the key problem. (laughs) Um, So this is actually our first podcast. It's also going to be in video format, which is pretty exciting. You're pretty much like a part of history now, Linda. Oh, great. Famous. We can go back to this podcast and uh, see what started. See what ridiculous things I said? Yes. So what do you do for work, Linda? I am a literary agent in children's books. And so basically what that is, it's like everybody knows Hollywood agents. Um, So I do the same thing for authors, but um, authors and illustrators. So I work on children's books from like really young board books up to young adult novels, although I don't do that much of that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I work with them on their work to get it ready to send to publishers. We submit it to publishers and negotiate their deals. We're involved in like foreign translations and film adaptations, um, and all sorts of crazy stuff like that. But yeah, that's what I do. So is that your own business or do you work for a company? It is my own business. Um, it's I have a business partner. We worked together for 20 years before we went out on our own um, 10 years ago. So, um, yeah, so it's our own business. We have two other people who work with us, and um, we've always been a remote office. So I work here. Uh, my business partner works in the city. We have another agent that works in Boston, outside of Boston, and then we have another person who works in Wappingers. Wow, cool. Yeah. What made you decide to go from working for a company to having your own business? Um, I, I, we really didn't feel like we had a choice. Um, my business partner and I were working for that's Marsha. Marsha and I were working for the same company for 20 years, and the owner of the company kept saying that he was going to sell it to us and sell it to us, and we were growing it, and he really wasn't. And um, we had no stake in the business, and he was in his 80s, his early 80s. So uh, we decided that we had no choice but to go out on our own, and it was a really scary decision, as I'm sure you know. Yes. <laughs> So it wasn't, was it like your dream to have your own business or did it just kind of like fall into that, fall into your lap, so to speak? Yeah, no, it was not my dream to have my own business. I just, I, I kind of approach life in that, you know, these opportunities and um, current, it's like a river. It's just like, sort of like you can go down one avenue or another avenue and like I, have never been a person who has said, this is the direction I'm going to go in and this is what I'm going to do. It's just sort of like opportunities come up and um, the, the biggest opportunities in my life that have come up, I felt were forced decisions. Like I had no choice other to do the thing that I was going to do. Um, but yeah, so no, it was not my dream, um, but I kind of love it now. Cool. That's awesome. How did you even stumble into that, um, getting that job? 
in the first place. Um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, again, happenstance. Um, but I also, again, like the currents that you follow. Um, I graduated college in, um, in Austin. Uh, I went to University of Texas. And I remember sitting in my apartment in Austin, talking to my friend this good friend of mine who's like my big sister lived in New York and um, she was setting me up on all these interviews and I had a degree in finance and I just remember saying to my friends like wouldn't it be great if I could use my finance degree in publishing and I had no idea what that meant and nor did I do anything to pursue that um, and then I uh, I added I, I responded to an ad in the New York Times that's what you did back then and um, went to a headhunter for a completely different job. And she sent me to the place I wound up working for for 20 years to do like accounting work for them, which happened to be in children's books. And it was a literary agency. And they worked with um, Maurice Sendak of Where the Wild Things Are. And so that's what I came up in. So it was one of those things of like, I do believe in verbalizing even the craziest things you'd want to do, because then when they come into your path, you recognize them. Um, so yeah, that's my story. That's awesome. That's super cool. So where was that that you, we were, so you were in Austin, is that what you said? I was in Austin, but I was coming back to New York um, because there were really no jobs in Texas at that time. I would have stayed in Austin if I could have. Um, but, uh, you know, Austin is a, an oil state and there was a, a, a big bust in the oil industry at that time. And there was a kind of no jobs to be had. So, yes. And ironically, then I moved back to New York with my little finance degree. And that was 1987. And I was here. I moved in October. And a week after I moved, the stock market crashed. So oh. <laughs> I think that's also a sign that perhaps I shouldn't, shouldn't work in Wall Street. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so were you born in Austin then? No, I was born on Long Island. Um, we moved to uh, Texas when I was 16, which was a bit of a culture shock um, mm -hmm. because I did, I walked like this when I went to Texas, which did not blend. Um, <laughs> yeah, I graduated high school and went to college in Texas and then moved back. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So you would have stayed in Austin. Do you feel like Austin's where you belong, like down? No, I feel like Beacon is where I belong. Okay. Now. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Austin was like a city that had like, it was, it had the Beacon vibe, but it was, um, it was a bigger city. Yeah, Austin is a, was a great place. And especially, I mean, it's grown so much since then, but especially back then, it was, uh, it was a funky town and it was really cheap to live. And yeah, there's so much music. It was great. Pretty. Yeah. I've never been, but I've heard cool stories. Yeah. So how did you end up landing in Beacon then? Um, well, I was married and we were living in Manhattan and we knew that we were going to we were going to be moving out of Manhattan. And my husband's family, his brother lived in Cold Spring. And I was in publishing and he was uh, in theater. He was a theater tech, which neither of those is like a very high paying job mm -hmm. um, and very much so not then. So we could not afford Cold Spring. And um, so in 2003, we, you know, we picked Beacon um, because my thing was that I wasn't going to, I was commuting into the city at the time and I wasn't going to commute again after I got off the train. 
So we kind of lucked into it. It was right when Dia said that they were opening here, and um, and we just sort of we just sort of landed at it. Hi, Derek. <laughs> uh, ironic because now it's like crazy and vegan. Yeah, I don't know if it's more expensive than Cold Spring, but it's definitely up there. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. And we, at that point, we knew, like, we thought we were going to have children. And then at that point we knew we weren't going to have children. So the school districts in Beacon at that time really weren't great, but that wasn't a factor for us. It was just more affordability. So that's how we went up here. That's cool. So you've been here for mm, 18 years. Thank you for doing that math. For You're very <laughs> <I was> struggling. <laughs> I was like, oh shoot, don't take too long for this. <laughs> And how do you feel about like all the changes that have gone through Beacon? You know, I I will say that I wasn't really active in Beacon. Um, I sort of lived here, but I really wasn't immersed in Beacon until 2015. So a lot of the changes happened before that um, because I was commuting into the city and then I was starting my business. Um, but um, it's changed a lot in six years. I, I think change is just inevitable there are some really great things about it and there's some really crappy things about it too um so I just try to focus on the things that are good about it um and just try to support those things but the pricing out is a little bit worrying um because I think it is it's like you know the slogan in Austin was keep Austin weird and then tech came into Austin and now people can't afford it like the weirdos that existed when I was in college couldn't afford it. And I'm just afraid that we'll lose a little bit of that here. Yeah. But um, yeah. Yep. Got fighting for it. Yeah. So what, uh, I know you're pretty active in Beacon now. What do you participate in as far as the community goes? Um, I, I actually pulled back a little bit, but I, I participate um, on the Spirit of Beacon Day committee for the Spirit of Beacon Day parade. Um, I used to be really active in Get Lit, which was a monthly meeting where people could read their work. Um, I've done some storytelling here um, with various groups because um, there's some really great storytelling. The, Ar the Artichoke is a really good storytelling venue. I haven't done that one because that one is like up here. But um, and then I'm also working on it was supposed to happen right before the pandemic, but um, we're trying to resurrect it. Uh, a series like I, that I hope it'll be maybe like a bi-monthly like every other month series called Twice Told where you take an artist's work and then we match them with two different authors and the authors write basically a five or ten minute story about that it could be a scene it could be a character study it could be whatever about that piece of art to see how different people's points of view are um, or if they're the same when's yeah. that going to be? Um, I have not set a venue. We had all the storytellers said it was like really supposed to happen the week of the lockdown um, oh last God. year. So um, it's a photographer that we that we did. So all I need is a venue where we can. And I'm trying to think of maybe maybe it would be the settlement camp. I don't know um, someplace where people can feel comfortable being indoors. So. I know I talked to George Mansfield at Dogwood um, recently and he seemed open to it, but that's small space. And so um, I'm not really sure. So we haven't set a date, but gotcha. But Alex, 
Alex Humphreys, my um, my fellow uh, locomotive person, is uh, my fellow loco is participating. So, oh, cool! Yeah. Well, it's fun to see all the community stuff starting to pick up a little bit now. The mm-hmm. pandemic is settling down, at least a little yeah. bit. On wood, <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's cool. Did you feel like the pandemic affected your your job? No, my pandemic, the pandemic, my pandemic, it's not my pandemic, uh, thank God. Um, the pandemic didn't really because I had always worked from home and our structure was the structure before. And because I work in children's books, we really weren't sure how it was going to be. But actually the sales of children's books, at least the the existing titles, titles that had a track record before, kind of sold more strongly than they had in prior years. So really it just got it got busier and I also think it got busier because my clients had more time and they couldn't they they were working different or reevaluating their jobs that they had if they had another job and then wrote on the side um so like they actually produced a lot more so it got busier of me getting submissions from my clients to review and help them shape and all of that so yeah it it didn't didn't slow down (laughs) It's been yeah. super interesting to see like what jobs like slowed down, which ones picked up. Um, some of them, the obvious were obviously slowing down, but others, it was very interesting to see how they just like shot up there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or like, like chess sets after the queen's gambit, like yeah. through, like who would have thunk, but yeah. yeah. Everybody's fine. Toilet paper, children's books and uh, chess boards apparently. So yeah. Pandemic and wait, kettlebells and dumbbells. Yeah, seriously. Yep. <laughs> so how did you stumble into locomotive? Um, my brother had taunted me for a couple of years um, with uh, joining, taking up CrossFit because he had up in Boston and he had taken me to some events up there and was constantly like, he actually got me to buy some nanos early on when I was running, I wasn't even doing CrossFit. And his wife was like, Cameron, why did you get your sister to buy nanos um, when she's a runner? And his response was, uh, because she's going to be doing CrossFit soon enough. <laughs> um, so he signed me up for a birthday present um, to go to Locomotive just to, to try on-ramping. And at that point, I think we were on-ramping for like a month and it was three days a week for a month. And so I, I went because I didn't want to waste his money. And by the end of the month, I was like totally hooked. So that's how it happened. What got you the addicted so fast, I'll say? <laughs> I, you know, I'd always been athletic. And um, so it was like, I, I hadn't at that point had an aptitude for it. So people who know me in gym now, when they see me doing everything scaled, I, at that point, I was like, up, 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 up. And um, it was fun to test my body. And then the community was like, so great. And I didn't know anybody it goes back to that thing. I didn't know anybody in Beacon. So um, I always say that every single connection that I have in Beacon today, regardless of all the things I'm involved with, it's like six degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's like three degrees of CrossFit. Every single relationship I had came out of our little box on Main Street. I missed the little Main Street box. Yeah. What is that? Yeah. 
<laughs> I was just talking about it this morning, but you know, it's like you can't, you like it was ridiculous how we worked out in that little space. I know. <laughs> and I was telling someone the other day how Sean used to program like every piece of equipment <laughs> one day, <laughs> and we'd all be like dying trying to figure yeah. out how to get everyone moving. <laughs> yeah, truly. Those are some fun times. Um, so what keeps you coming to Locomotive? Uh, you would hunt me down and kill me. Uh, <laughs> <if that's not. laughs> no, um, no I, I, I truly feel cared for there uh, at Loco. And it's such, such a great group of people. Um, and, I, you know, like I, I feel like the culture has changed a lot, which I think has kept me going because I've gone through so like I've gone through several injuries and, you know, what I could do six years ago when I started, I can't do now. I think I've had like a lot of humility, but I also think our culture, I think the culture of certainly locomotive and probably CrossFit overall has shifted from uh, like you need to be doing things at this level to really focusing on the functional fitness, which um, I think if we were still in that sort of oorah kind of mentality, I, I would have felt disappointed in what I can do now. So I, I feel like it's a gentler, kinder, soft uh, CrossFit than when I started. And I think that has a hundred percent kept me going because I feel like there's an adaptation to whatever I'm able to do which I, I don't know if I had had this happen five years ago, going through all the little setbacks that I've had that I, I, I would have sustained it. Yeah. Yeah. It's been an interesting, I mean, CrossFit itself hasn't been around for that long. And I think all of us have kind of gone through that transition of realizing that it's not sustainable to be that intense every single day of your life, you know, like you have to kind of bring it down and, shift your focus a little bit which is hard when you start off on one end of the spectrum to kind of like reshape your focus but I feel like everyone's kind of getting getting to the point where they can you know they're on board with that you know yeah it's a hard one Mm -hmm. it's a really hard one to go through um and and you've become an expert at holding people's hands through it certainly mine (laughs) I have to do it with myself too. So, <laughs> uh, great. Well, it's been a great sitting down with you, Linda. Thank you for well, being our you. first video appearance. Um, and Derek even got to be on the first video appearance. I don't know where he is. I know. Mm-hmm. I know. We'll say hello uh, to Jake and Vic as well. Um, and thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for coming. Okay. Bye. Bye.